You are listening to The Breakdown. This is Yasser Louati speaking. This podcast is offered to you by the CJL, Committee for Justice and Liberties. We are an independent human rights and civil liberties organization thanks to our donors. If you too would like to support our investigative reporting, political education and mobilization work, you can make a donation on cjl.ong. Welcome to The Breakdown. This is your host, Yasser Louati, speaking to you from the Paris South Side Bonlieu. Thanks again for joining us on this new episode and welcome to our new listeners and viewers. On this new episode, I will speak again of the ongoing debates in France around identity, security, and the ongoing repression and crackdown on civil liberties, what minorities are going through. And of course, if you remember from the past episodes, two major laws are being passed as we speak in Parliament in France. The first one being the comprehensive security law that will create a security continuum to, of course, further protect the police or shield the police, the police away from accountability, give more means for the government to crack down on dissent, and the other one being the anti-separatism bill. And this one is, of course, to Uh, make it impossible for uh, French Muslims to exist as uh, citizens, to organize as such, and let alone uh, dare to uh, de- uh, criticize the government. To speak of these topics, I am honored to receive a new guest from the U.S. This time, it is a Professor Chanel Andrews, uh, who is an American attorney based in Paris. She teaches at La Sorbonne Assas and uh, Paris uh, 8th. Uh, She graduated from law in the U.S. and she's from uh, Philadelphia. And she's been long enough in France to give her own opinion of over, over these debates. She's not a tourist. She's not one of those people who's only here for the uh, Gucci and the clothing. No, it is, she, she's really experiencing France as a, a citizen. And of course, her opinion matters because as she also teaches uh, uh, civil rights in French universities. She also has this capacity to compare what is going on in France and the ongoing challenges in the U.S. Chanel Andrews, welcome to your breakdown. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And again, uh, following our, our discussion to uh, uh, prepare this show, uh, my first question to you is, what brought you to France and uh, how are you living your life as a you know, legal scholar in this country? Um, I moved to France in the fall of 2016 to join my husband. My husband is a Senegalese French, um, and I, I came here to uh, be with him. And I've since um, been teaching uh, since that time in, in 2016. So I guess it's been about almost five years now. Great. And how you like it so far? Uh, I love France. Um, you know, there are definitely some differences between here and the States. Um, each country has its pros and cons. Uh, but for the most part, I, I thoroughly enjoy France. And it's actually been a blessing to be here in France um, over the last four years when Trump was president in the U.S. It was it was great to not be there actually and uh under his, his leadership directly and to kind of be escaping here in France. And was it any better than under Trump or there are still some challenges when it comes to uh, race relations in France, according to you, of course? Uh, France definitely has its challenges uh, when it comes to race. 
but I believe that overall, um, the Black experience, or at least my experience, has been more pleasurable uh, here in France than it would have been um, under the Trump administration in the U.S. Great. So you came here before Emmanuel Macron was elected, but you also witnessed right. when Marine Le Pen, the leader of the far right, made it to the second round. Mm -hmm. What marked you during the, the, uh, the run-up to the election in France as we had Emmanuel Macron positioning himself as this liberal candidate, and then seeing him today uh, actually almost doing the same thing as what Marine Le Pen would have called for, all this repression targeting minorities. And if to you it came as a shock to see this so supposedly promising you know, young president turn into what he promised that he would never, never do or be. Uh, it's definitely been a shock. As you mentioned, um, I was here right before he was elected and um, following Trump's election, uh, myself and a lot of uh, people in the States and, and people here in France were uh, counting on the French people to do the right thing and to reject what had happened in the U.S. with Trump's election. And um, people were hoping that Macron was elected versus Le Pen. And, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I actually was able to participate in the celebration right outside the Louvre when he was elected. And uh, it, was, it was a joyful moment. And I was excited to be here and um, escape that moment in the U.S. with what was about to happen with Trump. Uh, but as you mentioned, um, he's definitely, or Macron has definitely changed uh, since the he's been elected. Um, his policies have been, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, less and less progressive. Um, while it's been, it, it's definitely been shocking to an extent. At the same time, I'm not too surprised because he's a politician. Uh, I really don't have much faith in any politician, uh, regardless of party or regardless of, of country. I, I believe that, you know, politicians are uh, institutionalists who are part of um, governmental systems and they're in place to ensure that those systems work and um, they're going to do whatever to stay in office. And so I think that that's what's happening right now with Maroon. He, he sees that his... Um, his popularity has dwindled, and so he's appealing to the Le Pen crowd uh, because he, he needs those votes. And so this is his way of compromising uh, to, to win those votes. And so with that, you know, I, I don't think that that's, that's really surprising. I think that um, a lot of politicians uh, would also do the same thing. I mean, does that speak to him? or um, uh, speak directly to who he, has, who he is as a person, perhaps. But I think first and foremost, he's a politician. And I think that that's what politicians do. Uh, so you went to the celebration right outside the Louvre when he gave his speech. And you know, of course, right. he was going to double down on his promise of you know, bringing France together and that he was going to be the anti-Marine Le Pen. Well, we know what happened. When did you start questioning him? You know, what was the first discourse he gave or declaration he made or decision he made that kind of made you, hold on, okay, now this is not going the right direction and now I'm going to start reconsidering my opinion of him? Uh, to be honest, and pardon me if, you know, um, 
if, if I have been ignorant and, and missed some major happenings, but I think that my uh, shock towards his, uh, his, his change and his platform is actually more recent and has really come with um, the support uh, or what I see as support uh, for laws that um, I think uh, discriminate against Muslims. Um, last year in, in 2019 or 2020, um, following the George Floyd murder in the U.S., I witnessed uh, McGroan basically tell the French people, you know, that 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 wouldn't happen here, and that I don't think he uh, necessarily said the words "Black Lives Matter," but he alluded to what happened in the U.S. and he was. Um, basically welcoming the, the Blacks in France and, and giving his support um, against what happened in the US. And so up until then, or up until recently, uh, with what's been happening against Muslims, I thought he was on the right side. Uh, but with these most recent laws that uh, he, sh he supported that I think unfairly target Muslims, that's what's really opened my eyes and, and seen that Oh, he's really willing to, you know, do whatever it takes to be uh, be reelected. You spoke of the marches that followed that followed the racist killing of George Floyd back in uh, in, in the summer of 1920. And for our listeners and viewers, what happened, and we spoke about it on this podcast, is Emmanuel Macron reacted not by welcoming these demonstrations, but by calling out what's happening in the US and crushing what's happening in France. And this is typical of France. So it is easy for French elites, be it in the media or politics, to call out racism in America, you know, the legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, and you know, to praise the civil rights era. At the same time, when you hand a mirror to French elites and tell them, hold on a second, yeah, it's one thing to call out what's happening there, but the similar things are happening here as well. Uh, France's colonial past is not exactly uh, a legacy that we, we should all be proud of. And, but when you do that, you are called the famous word, a separatist. You are questioning France's identity. You are using the, you know, you politicize history, et cetera. And that's exactly what happened with Macron. He said, um, he started using the word separatism and his uh, minister of interior, Gérald Darmanin, use the term ensauvagement, like the people, you know, behaving like wild beasts. And this was as people were marching against police brutality. And it's not like we know it was not documented. And these marches by the banlieue, the blacks and the Arabs and the ethnic minorities in France marched after the Yellow Vest movement. And you remember how that movement was crushed. Uh, do people in the US call you and ask you, what is going on in France when we see uh, these people from the from the banlieue march, and at the same time we, we see this complete, uh, how can I say, uh, incapacity for the government to acknowledge the problems being raised by these people.
Um, honestly, I, I think that a lot of my friends personally are unaware of um, what's happening in France. Um, a lot of people have the idea that uh, France is a utopian country um, and, and promotes human and civil rights, uh, which it does in some respects, uh, but um, that's historically. Um, there is a question as to if that's still true today. Um, so I, I don't think that most people are, um, are, I've been really asked about uh, the, the marches that took place last uh, year, uh, specifically about race, uh, but I was asked about the yellow vests uh, because that did make international news. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the, the marches or the coverage of the marches in, in France um, following the George Floyd um, murder uh, kind of was, was kind of like a, a snippet in American news that kind of just so like, oh, there's worldwide support for this. And but they didn't really touch on what happened in or the, the French perspective. But um, the Yellow Vest protest was actually different. That is something that was unique to, to France. And that was a, a French fight. And so the American media uh, was more so interested in, in about, about um, you know, what was this Yellow Vest protest and, and what were the people in France uh, fighting for? So that's probably more so what I was asked about. You teach your, your students about the civil rights uh, era and, of course, the legal evolution that took place in America following the 1950s and mobilizations. Now, how do your students react to that, you know, part of, you know, U.S. history? And do they relate to what's happening here in France saying, yes, America made some, you know, advancements on these issues. Maybe we should also consider, you know, these topics that we are, of course, trying not to look at. And, and, and uh, let alone try not to confront? Um, you know, it's, it's actually interesting because uh, my students are very knowledgeable about what happened in the US in the 60s um, and, and even what's happening today. Uh, if I was to walk into a class and, and ask, you know, who is George Floyd, they would be able to specifically identify who he is, what happened, and, and the fact that um, the police officer who killed him was just uh, convicted. They would know all of those things, um, and they would be in support of those, those things as well. They would agree that, you know, what happened in the 60s was atrocious and it's good that America has moved on from that um, and that what's happening now with the police brutality in the US is horrible. They will be able to acknowledge all of those things, uh, but at the same time, um, they do have a very um, uh, French perspective in terms of uh, um, supporting the, the local legislation, uh, you know, the laissez-faire that, that is very, um, it's embedded in, in them and they are um, pretty much in general agreement that they don't really see the problem with um, uh, the way that things are in, in France uh, because it's what they're used to. So I think generally speaking, um, they're able to somehow separate the two and, and to not really compare what's happening in the US to what's happening in France and probably more so because uh, most of them aren't necessarily um, uh, affected by it. Uh, I 
in terms of my my class, it's it's not necessarily uh, too diverse, or the student body that I teach is not necessarily too diverse. Uh, so they wouldn't necessarily be affected by these laws that are targeting minority populations. So uh, perhaps that's the reason, or or maybe it's just that um, you know they're they're just so used to things being this way. And when when you grew up with with things just being a certain way, you know you're going to be really adverse to change until you you really uh, are in a, a situation in which um, change would be necessary. In France, we saw that there has been a drift towards you know far right politics, especially when it comes to the existence of Muslims as communities and as citizens. And I said in a, in a previous podcast that it is prohibited for Muslims to exist uh, uh, or to be more than believers the day they become citizens and you know they are to organize and you know and demand you know equality in rights and dignity it becomes problematic and you of course you are a separatist you saw how the um, the debate on the around the uh, anti separatism bill evolved we remember emmanuel macron's speech in the town of les mureaux on the further west side of paris and he spoke of uh, a domestic problem called radical Islam without ever defining it. And he called for you know, radical measures to crack down on this so-called radical Islam, intervening in uh, charity organizations, shutting down mosques and schools, and to prosecute individuals, and the list goes on. Have you ever confronted your students or asked them what they thought about the ongoing debates around this bill, which is clearly targeting uh, Muslims, and to quote, for example, uh, the Minister of Interior, again, Gérald Darmanin, he went to the Grand Mosque of Paris and told the, uh, the, uh, the head of the mosque, we do not want other communities to feel targeted by the measures we are applying onto you. Uh, so this is clearly, again, an anti-Muslim piece of legislation. Have you ever asked your students what do you think about this legislation? What do you think about the debates you know, taking place? And do you think there is really a problem with French Muslims? Um, well, generally speaking, so my course uh, really focuses on the US. Well, in the first semester, I teach American law. And in the second semester, uh, I teach English law um, and, and what happens in the UK. Uh, so we really don't uh, get into the specifics about what happens in France. Uh, but recently, um, I was able to ask my students, um, you know, what which system do they prefer or which way uh, do they prefer? Do they um, like the American way in which uh, freedom of religion is uh, really broad, uh, meaning you can literally stand on a corner and um, essentially have a church service if you want to. Uh, you can be the president and be sworn in on the Bible uh, or say, you know, in God we trust and have all these references uh, to religion. Or do you prefer the French way, uh, which strictly prohibits everything that I just mentioned? And most of them, they do prefer the French way. And again, this is probably because of... Um, uh, it, it's all that they've known, but at the same time, I also think that it's because um, they've seen, and especially with the U.S., that um, sometimes there can be too much of a religious influence in public life, but more so in, in politics. Uh, religion plays a large role 
um, in, in politics in the U.S. Uh, so they prefer the, the French way of keeping things separate, uh, but that's also in regards to, to politics especially. Now, when it comes to uh, how regular everyday citizens get to express their religion, um, I, I think that they also prefer, you know, the, the French way and, and, and would prefer that people uh, keep things separately um, and, and not really share uh, so much of their religious identity in, in public. And, and this, this is probably because, you know, this is all they know. And then they, they look at the U.S., and they see that you know there there's religion everywhere and and it's a problem. But interestingly, uh, when the the religious influence in the U.S. is is Christian, you know, it's it's not like um, it's not Islamic where you know they would see an example of how Islam is taken too far, perhaps in in the U.S. public life is is Christianity, and they've looked at that example and said, you know, we don't want that here in France. We would prefer to be separate. Um. What is your take now on the uh, anti-separatism bill? And uh, of course, not only the piece of legislation, but also the surrounding debates that, pre that paved the way for its passing through the National Assembly and then in the Senate, where we had all these absurd you know, amendments, you know, prohibiting the headscarf almost everywhere in France. How did you first react to Macron's speech? And then what is your take on this piece of legislation? Um, I think that uh, it hearing what Macron have to say following, um, you know, the, these laws or in support of these laws, it kind of reminds me of what happened recently in the U.S. with the Muslim ban and how the government um, was strategic and in not inserting the words Muslim or Islam. Um, and that ban prohibiting people from uh, uh, Islamic majority countries from entering the US. So it was, it was really about the effect of the law uh, where they didn't have to uh, specifically um, list the targeted people uh, because the effect of the law would have a negative impact on those, those people. So I thought that he was being strategic, even though he did, um, you know, mention radical Islam, which again, you know, is not in the law, but it is clear uh, who this law or yeah, who this law targets. And I, I think that it's a shame. And to be honest, I, um, I, I, tr I try to um, look at it from the French perspective um, and try to understand, you know, why these type of laws exist or why the French are so adamant about um, uh, purporting everyone to be equal and to not uh, share anything that might separate you or um, promote uh, a specific identity, identity politic uh, other than the fact that you're French, right? Everyone here is just supposed to be French. There's no white French, no black French, uh, Christian French, Muslim French. Everyone is just supposed to be French. Whereas in the U.S., I am really used to hyphenated identities, whether you're African-American, uh, Christian-American, Jewish-American. I'm used to that. And to come here and see, you know, everyone is just French. There is no hyphenations. I try to understand, you know, why is that so? 
Um, and in the U.S., I do think that uh, sometimes our um, freedom of expression, it goes too far. And so at first I thought that, well, maybe France is trying to uh, prevent that, you know, because uh, I do agree that there are uh, situations in which identity politics can go too far. Uh, like in the U.S., um, hate speech is protected. Whereas in France, it isn't, you know, that's against the law. So I can understand um, that type of prohibition, but I think it, it goes way too far to say that a mother cannot wear her hijab uh, when she's picking up her kids at, at school or to accompany her kids um, at, on, a, on a class trip. I think that that takes it extremely too far. There has to be some type of balance and, um, and, and why is this, or why are these laws specifically uh, targeting uh, this per, uh, particular headpiece that is associated uh, with Islam? And maybe you can answer this question, uh, but would this also apply to Catholic nuns uh, who wear their headscarf? Um, it, it, would this apply to them equally as well? Uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can, if, if it's going to apply to one group or one religion, then it should apply to all. But to just uh, singularly target Muslim women or, or Muslims in general, I, I think that that's unfair. So you either have it um, 100% separatist and say no one can do anything, whether you're Catholic or Muslim, or you allow everyone to do everything. But I, I, I think that is, as, as written and as, um, as, as it is to be applied, it's obviously strictly targeting Muslims and it's not fair. speak of what you just mentioned, this uh, colorblindness of the French Republic, actually, the idea could be, you know, con we can conceivably say, well, you know what, it might be a good idea that we do not see people according to their ethnic background, etc. But the problem is here, it's, you are only, because this universalism is only white universalism. So 
the French Republic would say, at least local its representatives, they would say, we do not acknowledge people according to their, you know, you know, racial affiliation, religious, you know, beliefs, etc. But the problem is they are treated differently, you know, depending on their skin color and their religion, etc. We just saw it, for example, with the uh, anti-separatism bill. So yeah, they will say it does not specifically target a community, but the whole political marketing around the bill was specifically targeting Muslims. And as you just raised it right now, its applications would not, you know, target, you know, um, you know, Catholic nuns, uh, for example. The other problem is that, you know, we have stacks of data showing that if you are black or Arab or Muslim or Roma in France, you are discriminated you know, on a date in your daily life, you know, discrimination at school, at work, you know, you know, access to healthcare, to resources, you know, so much so that uh, France uh, Strategy, which is a, a think tank uh, related to the prime minister's office, uh, published a report three years ago. And it said that discrimination in France costs the economy a whooping 150 billion euros per year. That's the economic cost of discrimination. At the same time, they will tell you, yeah, but we do, I don't care. I do not see a black person in front of me. I only see a French person. Yeah, but you don't necessarily see me as your equal. So it is only a way to dilute identities in a bigger, you know, or in, in the dominant, you know, white uh, identity. Do you, do, do you think it, go, go ahead. I think you have something uh, to say. I was going to ask question so this data that you just referred to how how is that data even collected um which is or the data that um is able to illustrate that you know people from different backgrounds are discriminated against uh because uh to my belief or to my understanding uh it's actually illegal here to collect uh data um, uh, around race and other uh, qualifiers. So how was that data even collected? When I, when I, from my experience while working with sociologists doing this kind of studies, even though I did not work with uh, France Strategy that published this report, uh, most of the time they would go on a self-identification basis. So do you identify as fill the blank? So a black or Muslim, the combination of both, etc. And that's how it starts. But I give you, and it's true that this also creates a problem because, okay, so what if people don't identify as such, but are still treated as such? Maybe I don't identify as part of that or ethnic group or religion, but because I look like one of them, they would treat me differently. So uh, it's like, you know, if I go to the US, you know, some people might think I'm, you know, you know even I was told, yeah, are you Latino? Or, and I'm not. So maybe in the US, I would have been like, you know, under the Latino box, even though I'm not. So this is how they, you know, collect this data. But speaking again of the realities of, you know, uh, being Muslim in France, let's even, you know, being non-white, uh, maybe you, you know, you, maybe, I mean, like, my apologies, but you definitely read uh, history books about uh, France, and you see that the narrative is always uh, white-centered. You don't have, for example, historic black figures, historic Arab figures, historic Muslim figures in France, even though they were part of France's history. So this again shows you that you know, this color blindness is only a way to, you know, what impose the dominant identity and make those, you know, smaller groups 
or self-dissolve self and stop you know, identifying as such. When you saw, if, let me ask you, uh, uh, Chanel, uh, when you saw that the marketing was specifically targeting Muslims through the anti-separatism uh, bill, at the same time, we had the, the comprehensive security bill, notorious for banning, uh, uh, for prohibiting to film the police, even if they are committing, you know, uh, acts of police brutality. Did you see a connection between this security, uh, um, what can I say, uh, measure or, or this, you know, debate around we need more, you know, you know, you know, leverage on crime, we need more muscle, etc., and at the same time problematizing the presence of Muslims through, through the anti-separatism uh, bill. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. I definitely see a connection. Um, I think that the government is being very strategic and, um, you know, an expression that we use in the States, we would say, uh, lying in your ducks in a row, meaning, you know, you, you um, do everything in, in, the, in ordered steps to a, a achieve um, a desired goal. And so I, I definitely see a connection with the two uh, to, and specifically with uh, the prohibition against uh, film and police. Um, the connection there is that uh, now when um, you know, someone or a Muslim is targeted or unfairly treated or you know, arrested or uh, battered by an officer, you wouldn't be able to have uh, proof to back that up. It would just be um, hearsay or that person's word uh, against the police. And in fact, another strategic um, uh, setup that I recognize is that uh, last fall, um, when the French government really started um, uh, trying to implement or discussing these um, these laws that are purported to be um, Islamophobic, uh, one of the first measures that they did was to discourage homeschooling, okay? And so when I saw last month that now um, uh, Muslim uh, mothers uh, are now being, uh, or they're trying to prohibit uh, Muslim mothers from, um, not wearing the hijab at school to accompany their kids, I saw the, I immediately uh, put two and two together and saw that connection and said, oh, wait a minute. So first they, they tried to stop homeschooling and now they're uh, being strict in public schools so that if you uh, are dissatisfied with the current measures in public schools with your kids, you really don't have the uh, opportunity to remove them and homeschool them. Like, so I saw that that was a natural um, acceleration. So they, they first launched the, the anti-homeschooling uh, provisions to prepare for this moment so that now you're stuck in public school and you're stuck or you're, uh, we're gonna impose these new restrictions upon you in our public schools and there's nothing you can do or you really don't have as much flexibility to pull your kids out. If you don't agree with it, you have to deal with this. So yes, the government is being very strategic um, with separate pieces of legislation all in a common goal 
to negatively affect certain people. And I think that that's very obviously if you sit down and read these uh, legislation. I mean, to, to, uh, to further clarify what you just said, and I think it's extremely important to see how legislation is literally, and I'm going to quote some Muslims uh, or who, who share their, their concern, is that the government is doing its best to take Muslim kids away from their parents and make, make it impossible for parents to transmit their values and you know their 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 education through their uh, to their children. For example, you're, you all, of course you know that in uh, the uh, Muslim headscarf uh, has been banned in public schools since the 15th of March 2014. Even though it has been marketed as an application or implementation of laicite, it is against laicite because laicite, as you said earlier, uh, is about separation of churches and the state, and of course that applies to the state and state services, not users of state services. So when you use state services, like going to the administration in, of your town or going to school or the post office, religious neutrality does not apply to you. Yet, the government back then managed to pass this law uh, uh, back in 2004, not, not 14, so 15th of March, uh, 2004. And that law actually, opened the floodgates for a series of you know, uh, 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 pieces of, of legislation to uh, ban the full face veil uh, in 2010. And since to, uh, to 2012 with the uh, Châtel Ministry Circular, make it prohibited uh, for uh, Muslim mothers, as you said, to attend school field trips. And what was a ministerial circular, which is different from a law, which is it does not really apply, now is becoming the law. And we see that so Muslim girls cannot go to school if they wear a headscarf. Now the government is cracking down on Muslim private schools, cracking down on homeschooling. So what if you don't want to, you know, you know, you you don't want to send your kid to a to a public school because of the quality of education? You can't afford to send your kid to a private school, and you, you resort to homeschooling. Even that, that would be made impossible. Uh, for you. Do you think there is here a violation of religious liber uh, liberties, or you think the government is just you know, passing pieces of legislation without having a clue on how this would actually affect people in their daily lives?
Um, I definitely think it's a violation of, of liberties and um, and the government is using um, a, a very touchy subject to accomplish his goals uh, to um, regulate how a parent interacts with their kids or um, if, a, if a parent can be involved in their kids' education. I, I think that it really gets no stricter than that. And I, I think it's a shame. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really um, too well versed or familiar with um, how many uh, Muslim women uh, provide childcare services throughout uh, Paris. Uh, but I know uh, when I was living in the 14 um, and I received the, the list uh, from the local city hall of uh, assistant maternals in the area, I immediately realized like, wow, it seems like most of this list um, are, are Muslim women. And I could tell really by the names. Uh, and, and my uh, assistant maternal that I picked, um, she's an Algerian woman or Algerian French woman, and she's Muslim. And so, uh, and, and I love her. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that I think that it's, um, it's quite telling that uh, French people, you know, trust Muslim women uh, and hold them to be good enough to raise other people's kids. But yet, now you're going to enforce these restrictions on how these women raise their own kids or interact with their own kids. And it immediately remind me of what happened in the US uh, with the experience of black women um, throughout slavery, uh, black women at, or who were slaves, uh, we were treated as mammies, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we were raising the slave master's kids uh, we were good enough to breastfeed their kids if the, the mother uh, couldn't breastfeed. We were good enough to wash their kids. But at the same time, we were not good enough to be equal um, to whites or to be even considered human. We were only considered to be, <clears throat> excuse me, slaves. And so uh, what just happened with uh, these specific restrictions um, against mothers entering the schools, it immediately... Uh, reminded me of, of that era. Uh, well, speaking of slavery, Milak, you must have noticed that in France, uh, the former minister for women's rights, Laurence uh, Rossignol, uh, in 2016, uh, spoke of slavery, but not in the terms one would have expected. She, used, she said in, uh, in regards to Muslim women willingly uh, uh, wearing a headscarf, quote unquote, were comparable to uh, uh, American uh, Negroes who were in favor of slavery. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, how far the comparison went in France when uh, Muslim women decide uh, uh, to wear a piece of cloth over their heads. So we really see that this is a, a typically fresh obsession. And I wonder if you see that obsession from your, from your perspective. Uh, well, you just used a key word here uh, that is a major distinction between uh, what slaves uh, go through or experience and, and what um, women who choose to cover their heads experience. And the word that you use is decide. Um, slavery is not a decision. It is forced upon you. Uh, a headscarf is a decision that women uh, make, okay? And 
And so I, I do hear that argument here. I hear the argument of, uh, well, you know, we're only um, uh, enacting these laws or um, uh, trying to prohibit the headscarf because we want to protect women. We want you to be equal. You shouldn't have to do this. Well, if they shouldn't have to do it, then they shouldn't not have to, uh, you know, not do it either. Uh, you should give women that choice. And I, I've seen in the last, uh, I guess, maybe two years that um, the feminist movement in France has had um, a larger voice. Uh, the government is appearing to take uh, more seriously domestic violence uh, and also um, other, uh, you know, societal ills that, that women uh, face and, and discrimination are, are, are being taken uh, more seriously. Uh, but I just wonder, uh, where's the support for, for Muslim women? Does this feminist support extend to them and their wishes and, and how they wish to live their life? Or uh, does it not? Because um, uh, for whatever reason, um, the, the desire to wear a headscarf does not fit in the traditional feminist um, uh, values. And, and so they aren't receiving the same support. But I definitely noticed that, you know, there's a difference or Muslim women and their desire to regulate their own bodies somehow doesn't reach the mainstream feminist conversation as, as other topics does. Uh you saw how France, uh, again, as I said earlier, is taking this sharp turn to the right, uh, literally, if not towards the far right, when we see the, uh, the ongoing de debates around identity, especially after Emmanuel Macron told his uh, government, and this is, of course, from official sources, that he, he asked the government to flood public debates with, with debates around Islam and Islamism. And this is, you know, this is done, you know, um, uh, on purpose in order to avoid debates on, you know, the failing socioeconomic policies of the past uh, four years, uh, the failed pandemic, you know, crisis management, the failed institutional uh, uh, reformation made in France. And I, and I tell our listeners, and viewers in the US, which is, by the way, our first market for this podcast, and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, France lives under a regime that, we, that is not really a republic. It's a, a compromise between a republic and a monarchy. The Fifth uh, Republic and, its, uh, and the 1958 Constitution gives so much power to the president that he is really beyond accountability. So when we have these ongoing uh, debates, we also keep in mind that, as you uh, again, as you noted, that there have been of course a security uh, drift. Uh, you came in 2016. Uh, in 2016, it was also the, the year where the law on mass surveillance was passed. Just you know, like you know, a couple of years, if not less than two years, after the Snowden revelations, the government does not implement protection of uh, private of privacy, but passes a law that says it is legal for the government to spy on all of our communications, online, offline, uh, social media publications, et cetera, and imposed on uh, uh, ISPs, internet service providers, the so-called black boxes, which route all of our data uh, through a government you know, um, data centers. Do you think France 
is heading towards, and again, this is the activist speaking, and you, you, are, you have the right to disagree, is, is France taking a turn towards an authoritarian, if not a police state, given all the security measures passed? Also, I add to the, to the pile the Silk Law of uh, October 2017, which is about domestic security. And that law actually made the state of emergency, which was supposed to be permanent, the state of emergency became permanent. You no longer need a, uh, an authorization from the judge to raid people's homes. The police decides and does. Given all these elements, and given your experience here for the past five years in France, where do you think France is heading in terms of security and shrinking space for uh, civil society? Well, I think that before I even speak on France, I think that um, this, or, or what you've just described is um, a, a trend that's happening worldwide or specifically in, in Western societies. I think that um, a lot of countries saw uh, what happened in the States uh, following the, the passing of the Patriot Act. Um, and they saw how the, the US government was able to, uh, in, in the name of security, um, uh, really spy on, on citizens. And I think that countries, um, you know, they, they saw that as an opportunity to, to really do the same thing in, in their own country. And so with France and as especially um, following the terrorist attack that happened in France, and I believe it was 2015, correct? Uh, I, I think that that was an opportunity for France to now enact its own, you know, Patriot bill per se, uh, and and as you mentioned, they always say that you know this is for security uh, purposes. Uh, this is temporarily. Uh, it's an emergency, and so we have to act with emergency measures. But then next thing you know, um, it's normalized. And how do you get rid of it? Because now the government is used to uh, certain tools, and they don't want to go back to having a, a judge have to sign off on um, the right to, to surveil someone or, or not. So I, I think that um, governments are, are going to take advantage of um, uh, tragedies to really obtain information or to do things that they otherwise wouldn't have the ability to do so. And once they get that power, it's, it's really hard or impossible to take that away from them because now they're so used to operating under that. So with France, um, you know, I, I really don't know what the future holds or um, where we're headed. But uh, I think if anything, you know, we can look at this, this most recent uh, surveillance um, or, or uh, global security uh, bill, uh, which prohibits, uh, you know, how you interact with uh, uh, police. So the government are saying, you know, we can do these things to you, but you can't do that to us. Uh, and so the fact that, you know, this has passed I think that it only gets worse, but what is encouraging is that um, I think that the French people aren't really going to go for it. Um, the protests that I saw in response uh, to this most recent law and, and the law specifically banning the filming of police, uh, that's the largest protest that I've saw in, in France since I've been here, or maybe 
or maybe I should say uh, that's the largest protest that I've actually been a part of. Um, yeah, so that was the first uh, march that prompted me to, to go out and uh, actually join because I thought that it was unacceptable, especially um, in relation to witnessing what happened in the U.S. with the George Floyd murder and seeing that, uh, you know, that case would not have even been a thing if it wasn't for uh, a, a local resident filming that and uh, really showing the world what, what really happened because you had the official press statement of the police about what happened, uh, which totally was uh, uh, changed when the, when the video came out. And so I, I thought that, you know, France uh, shouldn't prohibit people from filming police. And so I went out there and I was able to actually uh, talk to local people and, and ask them, you know, well, what is it about this bill uh, that that really makes you want to come out here and protest and, and just to see the support? And I thought it was overwhelming. So while uh, France is definitely headed in the wrong direction uh, with these most uh, recent pieces of legislation, I am encouraged that um, I think that the French people aren't going to necessarily sit back and take it. Uh, they're going to um, call for a change in one way or another. If it's uh, via protests, which this uh, most recent protest, it did work in that they were able to have the uh, Senate, I believe, uh, rewrite the law. But you know, I guess the, the end result is kind of still the same. And so now, I guess the, the, the new change that they'll be able to uh, make is that the French people will be able to uh, elect new leaders who hopefully uh, won't propose such legislation or can go, go back and um, change the legislation that has been passed that they don't agree with. Uh, Chanel Andrews, it's been a pleasure exchanging with you on these many topics. I remind our listeners and viewers that you are an American attorney based in Paris, that you also teach law at the University of Panthéon Assas or Paris, two, uh, Paris II or Paris II. Um, thanks again for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, as for you, uh, dear listeners and viewers, this episode is over. If you think this podcast deserves your support, please make a donation on cjl.ong slash en this podcast is of course independent autonomous and also a platform for thinkers uh, actors of civil society who are about bringing a positive change to our respective societies so please make us uh, uh, some uh, provide us with some support and i thank you for it in advance talk to you soon and the struggle continues mm -hmm.